This is uh, Will Fortaccio. Hi, this is Brian Azzarelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Lieber Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sale. Hi, this is Nadia DeFilippis. Hey, Christina Lear. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duffy Wynn. Hi, this is Kevin Van Duffy here. This is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 19. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. We are bringing you all the comic news and book news from the last two weeks, as well as your comic reviews from the past two weeks. Then we have our kids' review for Batman the Brave and the Bold, number four, as well as Bat Books for Beginners, which in this episode is Batman Four of a Kind. So let's jump right into comic news. The very first thing we have is on April 22nd, Neil Gaiman talked with Wired.com about whatever happened to the Cape Crusader Part 2, which was in Detective Comics that day. Let's just go over one of the questions, which was, so how did you become the executor of Batman's estate, so to speak? And he responded, the phone rang about a year ago, and it was Dan DiDio from DC Comics. He said, look, we are going to do what we did to Superman 23 years ago, but with Batman. We are going to end his monthlies and then reboot and renumber them. So there isn't going to be a Batman comic for a while. How would you like to write the last issue of Batman and Detective Comics in the same way that Alan Moore did with whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? It was one of those strange combinations. I thought that if I can't do it, someone else would, and they would mess it up. But also, I really love Batman. The platonic ideal of Batman, as well as the number of specific Batmans over the years, I thought it would be really interesting. And all I can say is, thank DC for not renumbering the Batman comics. Yeah, everybody's into all this hyper-renumbering lately, and when I heard that they were going to stop the titles for a while, that was one of my biggest fears. Yeah, I'm glad he didn't either. I don't know if I would compare this to whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow, though, because that was a different thing. It was wrapping up everything in the Superman books. This is kind of like a what-if Batman's funeral and people give different scenarios for what the last Batman story would have been. I'm not saying it's bad, it's just different than what whatever happened to the man of tomorrow was in my opinion all right so moving on to the next bit of news on april 23rd the source dc's blog released some art on the manhunter co-feature now you might be wondering why are we talking about manhunter on a batman podcast or on the batman website well because manhunter is actually going to be the co-feature in the back of batman streets of gotham coming out in june Manhunter was previously a member of Birds of Prey, and her alter ego, Kate Spencer, will be Gotham's new district attorney. So, if that's not plenty enough reasons to cover, I don't know what is. So you can check out the website, we've got a link on there, as well as some of the art, or if you're watching the enhanced version of the podcast on the website, you'll actually be able to see some of the art on the enhanced version. So moving on to the next thing, on April 29th, the sales reports for March 2009 came out, and they were kind of interesting and also kind of a disappointment. Batman Battle for the Cowl number 1 ended up selling roughly about 91,000 issues and ranked number 3 on the top 300. Cacophony number 3 sold 52,000 copies and ranked number 17. 
And then just to go over the other ones, number 33 was Superman Batman, number 56. Number 36 was Azrael, number 37 was Battle for the Kyle Commissioner Gordon. Number 38 was Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead. Number 47, Oracle the Cure, number 1. Number 57, The Outsiders, number 16. Number 98, Batman Confidential, number 27. Number 115, Batman Gotham After Midnight, number 11. Number 174, Batman Brave and the Bold, number 3. Number 228, Batman 686. So, kind of spread out, and it's interesting that Batman 686 was still in the top 300 since it came out in February, but it was a important issue, and I could see why it was still on the top sales for March. But as far as the lineup of the one-shots, I'm kind of disappointed that Commissioner Gordon is higher than some of these other books because I found that one to be just literally crap. But Yeah, because he came in higher than the Gotham Gazette one? Yeah. And Gotham got- Gazette was awesome. There was an article on Newsarama, one of the sites, about how comics just aren't selling as well. And one of the months, it might have been the month that we're talking about now, where the number one book sold less than 100,000 or 120,000 or something. Yeah, it was this month. Yeah. So, So, compared to a couple years ago, it's kind of interesting, because if we go back to the 90s, I think they said in 1999, the top book had 450,000 copies. So, in general, the comic book business is not as well as it has been. That's a scary drop, too. Like, you've basically lost three-quarters of your audience. And there's some people who say, oh, it's because the stories are bad or it's because they got rid of Bruce Wayne. But if you look, no, this is happening across the board for all comics. The past few decades, like since the 60s, it's been going down. You also have to look at the prices. Where the prices have gone up, Prior from the '90s, when books were still like a dollar eighty-five, maybe two dollars and something cents. I mean, they've gone to three dollars and almost four dollars. You know, so you got to also look at that. I know that there's prices that you have to pay. You got to pay the artists, inkers, writers, colorists, letterers. But at the same time, you also got to look at the prices. Yeah, needless to say, prices going up on some books aren't necessarily helping their cause. But at the same time, the economy's not doing the best and comics to a lot of people are an excess resource that you don't necessarily need in a time where you don't have as much money. Right, right. Because if you look at Batman alone, how many Batman titles are we having? And then you want someone to go out that month and purchase six books at almost $3 each. Some of these people don't have that type of money, you know? So, I mean, in the economy, of course, the economy is doing bad. But, I mean, it's just something that they need to look at and maybe explore like hey you know what maybe we aren't at this price range yet let's take it back a notch i'm just glad that dc hasn't decided to up their books to 399 yet as marvel has decided to do with most of theirs although the co-features that they're doing they're making an excuse to go up to 399 which i really hope these co-features are as good as the extra dollar we'll be paying for the issues because if they're not a lot of people are just not going to be picking them up at all. Right. Okay, Ooh. so next, we bit of news on April 29th. 20 questions with Dan DiDio on Newsarama were posted. For some reason, instead of their normal 20 questions, DiDio must have not been paying attention and ended up answering 25. So let's go over the Batman-centric ones. We're going to actually kind of do this so that it's not just me reading back and forth where it would actually... Reenact an actual interview. 
Newsarama's seventh asked question was, we have a few more questions asking about the Batgirl series. Is it something that's still out there, or is it something that will be retro-solicited later, perhaps after the conclusion of the Oracle miniseries? And his response was, no, it's not going to be retro-solicited. It will be hitting shops in August, as will Adventure Comics. Their intent question was, any word on who will be sharing the art duties on Batman and Robin with Frank Quietly? Dan DiDio responded, we've selected our artists and we'll be announcing them soon. I prefer to have the book on the stands before announcing who the next artist will be. Let's get Frank's work out there and give it a chance to shine before people start worrying about what's next. But he's currently working on another project and will start his arc on Batman Robin as soon as he's done with that. Their 17th question was, a question that was asked in the context of Marvel's recent reintroduction of Spider-Man 2099, will we ever see more of Batman Beyond in the DC Universe? He responded, we touched upon him in Countdown, I know, but as of right now, there are no plans for a series or appearances, sorry. Is there a bit of a resistance towards using the character, since it was something that came from the animated side of things to DC, rather than moving from DC to animation? You mean like the resistance to us using Harley Quinn or Livewire or Renee Montoya? <laughs> and yes, Dan Dio actually typed out the laugh. Newsarama's responded, <laughs> okay, good point, my fault for forgetting her. And he responded, it's really just the issue with time frame. Batman Beyond is a future of Batman's world, and it's different from what we have established in the DCU right now, and rather than do a separate series based on a different timeline, we'd rather explore what we have currently going on in the DCU. It's just not a future for Batman that we are looking to explore right now. Because even an introduction of Terry McGinnis as a character starts a clock ticking, in a sense. Yep. Their 23rd question. In 2007, an eight-part miniseries called Batman Odyssey was announced with art by Neil Adams and dialogue by Frank Miller... His response was, since it was never announced by DC Comics, it's hard for me to comment on something that's not really official. But something like that would be great, wouldn't it? More than that, I'd like to be someone actively participating in that if it was happening. Nothing would excite me more to be working with Neil Adams on a new Batman project. Neil Adams was probably one of the first artists to make me truly excited about Batman in the 1970s when I first encountered his artwork, and I think he's still one of the true masters of the craft out there working today, and can deliver above expectations at any time. So, quickly, let's discuss this. I mean, really, the only one worth discussing is the Batgirl one. Yeah, once again, each month we're like, oh, no solicitations in June, let's wait for July. Oh, nothing in July, August. How much you want to bet in August? We're not going to see it either. They're going to say, oh, we moved it to September. (laughs) At least he didn't ignore it this time. Last time he was ignoring all the Batgirl questions. Yeah, and there sure was a whole lot of them, so at least we got some kind of response. It it, it almost seems as if, in a way, they're still trying to pan out a story or how, what direction they want to go with it because it looks like they're pushing it right to the end. You know what I mean? So uh, it's just very interesting, but you know me, wait and see. They gotta be enjoying the buzz. One thing that I found interesting was that some fan thought that DC was resisting using Terry because he's animated. From what I've seen, if something appears in the animated universe, DC will usually change it. Like, they brought Jon Stewart, that's the Black Green Lantern, I think his name, into the DCU again because he was on the Justice League TV show. They changed Tim's costume 
so it would match the last version of the Batman animated series, not the 2004 one, but the Paul Dini, Bruce Timm one. Yeah, they've definitely done a bunch of different things to kind of incorporate the animated universe into the comics and vice versa. But at the same time, I kind of see what their their reasoning to not use anything having to do with Terry McGinnis because if you start using Terry McGinnis as he will be the future Batman, then you have to try to link things together about, okay, well, if Bruce is being replaced eventually by Damien, as we saw in Batman number 666, then how does that work where somehow Terry McGinnis comes in? The problem is it conflicts. It can conflict way too much. To have him on an alternate Earth, that's that would yeah. work in my opinion. But it, other than the alternate Earth, it, it jeopardizes too much of what they're trying to do and trying to set up for Batman's future. Right. It also limits what characters you can use and what you can do with. If somebody wanted to, let's say, kill off a minor villain like... Well, not really minor, but Killer Croc, then... Oh, wait, in issue 7 of Batman Beyond, we used him as a villain in the future, so that means he has to be alive in the future, so... It basically limits what you could do with the chess pieces that you currently have. Exactly. Right, and see, and you, and, and, and maybe they might have the the, the vision, like, like my vision, like... I liked Batman Beyond. I, I I liked it. I love watching it. But me as a Batman fan, I don't want to look that far ahead. I want to stay like here in the now. That's why I wasn't really interested like in Spider Man twenty ninety nine and you know in the Hulk when they were they were moving all into the future. I, I'm I'm not a real big fan of that. I I I prefer to stay right here right now and let's go through this storyline. But if they ever do, I mean, of course I'm gonna pick it up and check it out because of course it's Batman. I mean, not to mention. Think about it like this. Are we really ever going to see Terry McGinnis as Batman and Bruce Wayne as the old cranky guy who sits in the Batcave? We might in an, on an alternate Earth, and we might as you know a miniseries of an alternate Earth or something like that, but we're never actually going to see that in the main titles because with all the people complaining about Bruce Wayne not being Batman now, how much more would they complain if Batman was an old cranky guy who sat in the Batcave all the time? Exactly. Exactly. One thing that's worth mentioning, they, he talked about different people like Livewire and uh, Harley Quinn who were brought in from the TV show. Renee Montoya did actually appear in the comics first, but that was in anticipation of the TV show. The comic creators at the time knew that she was going to be in the TV show, so they put her in the comics. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting fact. But we all know that Harley Quinn was definitely a part of the animated series first. Oh, yeah. All right, so moving on, on April 30th, the source posted up some new Red Robin picks, and they first posted up a picture of the cover of Red Robin number three, which is very interesting, and we'll throw it over to Apple in a second about why it's so interesting. But then there's also some pictures of some interior art from Red Robin number two, where Red Robin himself is battling against a bunch of thugs, it looks like, with little Uzis and stuff. So let's talk about the cover for a second. Okay. For that cover, what makes it very interesting is if you see the gravestones that are right there, we were wondering, okay, you know, who is he leaving the flowers to? Well, right there, we've all known the angels to be, of course, for Thomas and Martha Wayne. The grave right next to it 
is for Bruce Wayne. Now, it's unnamed, of course. They didn't want to tie it to anything to where Batman has disappeared and Bruce Wayne has died. Well, on free comic book day, if you went to your comic book store, there is a Green Lantern issue called Blackest Night. Now, you're probably saying, Apple, why am I going to go pick up Blackest Night? Well, one, it's free. Second is that it talks about Bruce Wayne. And if you look in this issue and you look at Green Lantern looking down at Bruce Wayne's grave, it's the same image within the Red Robin issue right here that's on the cover. So that's how you can tie those two together that, oh, this is Bruce Wayne's grave. And so within that issue, you see the same picture where Green Lantern is standing also over that grave. So that's what makes it very interesting between those. So all these storylines seem to be tying together. Which is incredibly cool as long as the stories actually tie together and not just the art. But the picture itself shows a person wearing a suit, trench coat, whatever, and then his shadow is being reflected down as that person is Red Robin, but the person is also standing with the girl. So the question is, one, who's the guy who's Red Robin, and two, who's the girl? And this kind of goes back to what we were predicting a while back about Red Robin is Tim Drake, and the girl is actually Stephanie Brown, and that's who accompanies him around the world, per se, for the first adventure that's mentioned in the first book. Right. Yeah. So, we've very seen, interesting. We've seen some art with spoiler in it, so... And I can't imagine who else would accompany Tim around the world. Oh, but if Tim isn't Red Robin... Yeah, that's what he wants us to think, but... Right. He's, he's Red Robin. Ooh, we shadowed his face on the preview. Uh-oh. Who is it? All right, so on to the next bit of news. On May 1st, the new issue of Wizard Magazine arrived to anybody who has subscriptions, and there's actually a ton of different Batman-related stuff in the magazine. So one of the first thing is the big story in the new issue is that they have the top 100 greatest graphic novels of all time. And there were a couple Batman ones, so let's run through those real quick. Number 29 was Absolute Batman Hush. Number 58 was Gotham Central Hardcover Volume 1. Number 66 was Absolute Batman The Long Halloween. Number 70 was Batgirl Year One. Number 80 was the Joker graphic novel that came out last year. And number 100 was Catwoman Selina's Big Score. So if that wasn't a decent amount of Batman stuff to begin with, discussing those different stories, well, then there was an article that had an interview with Grant Morrison about his upcoming Batman Robin series. Then there was a two-page spread dissecting Batwoman, who is going to, as we know, appear in Detective Comics in June. Then there's an article talking about Judd Winnick, about writing Batman in June, and then there was a side panel about the future lineup of all the different Bat books. So this might be the magazine for you guys to pick up. I know it's available at bookstores and stuff like that. If you don't have a subscription, and I'm sure your comic book stores have them too, so it might be worth just glancing at because there was some decent stuff said in those interviews with Winnick and Morrison about their series coming up. So, You know what? Now, now I may have a gripe, but is, is this me just being a Joker fan? But to you guys, uh, Joker, the graphic novel coming in at number 80, does that seem like low to you guys? It seems low, but at the same time, it's only been out, I mean, this stuff that is published in the magazine probably was done back in January or February, time-wise, because that's how magazines work, monthly magazines at least. 
but it would have only been out for, what, five, six months maybe at the max. So to put it way up on the list would kind of, I don't think would necessarily be the best idea. It's one of those books that's going to move up that list as time progresses. Right, because, I mean, Absolute Hush, and oh, believe me, I love the Absolute books. I mean, they're freaking huge, they're nice, I love them, I buy them all. But, I mean, Hush, 2001, 2002, number 29, so I I just felt that, I was like, you know, I I don't know, maybe because I'm just a Joker fan, but I thought it was going to be higher than that, I really did. I don't pay much attention to those lists because... If you don't like the way that it's set up, there's a new greatest comics, greatest graphic novels list published almost every month from a different mag. And this isn't even the first time Wizard's done this type of list. So maybe next time the Joker will be higher. Maybe next time he'll be lower. Yeah, I'm high on that. The Killing Joe wasn't on there, though, was it? No, which is interesting. Yeah, but Borders got it right in the front. You know, bestseller. (laughs) But, you know, that's, that's just me. Hello, kiddies. Meet the Joker. All right, so moving into book news, we've got two trade paperbacks coming out in the next two weeks. The first one on May 13th, we have Batman, Scarecrow, and Two-Face, Year One. This is two of Batman's greatest foes star in the new title, collecting Year One, Batman, Scarecrow, number one and two, and Two-Face, Year One, number one and two. This is going to be 200 pages and is going to be 1999. Next one, on May 20th, we have Batman, Mad Love, and Other Stories. The solicitation reads, Tales by two of the creators behind the acclaimed Batman animated TV series are collected for the first time in hardcover. The centerpiece of this fantastic collection is the Eisner Award-winning Batman Mad Love, the surprisingly dark origin of Harley Quinn, co-starring the Joker and Poison Ivy, as well as Batman. Also included are tales by Deanie, Tim, and others that feature the Scarecrow, Ra's al Ghul, Mr. Freeze, Batgirl, and more. From Batman Adventures Annual Number 1 and 2, and stories from Batman Adventures Holiday Special, Adventures in the DC Universe Number 3, and Batman Black and White Number 1. This is going to be 208 pages and is also going to be 1999. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant! <laughs> So that is all the book news we have. Let's go right into our comic reviews. And we're going to start off with Detective Comics, issue 853, Whatever Happens to Cape Crusader Part 2. And boy, has it been a while since we've done Part 1. For those of you who don't remember, it's Batman's funeral, and somehow Batman, as an unseen figure, is observing it with somebody else who we haven't seen yet. And different people are giving different stories about how Batman's died, and... Each story has a different version of Batman, like the 40s version or the 70s version. Well, the first page, we actually see three different panels, and each of the panels, it's people sitting down at the funeral, but the person in the coffin, Batman, keeps on changing. First, he looks kind of like his 1950s version, maybe. It's kind of hard to tell, but with the short ears. Then we have the really, really, really big ears that we've seen in about the past 20 years or so in titles like Shadow of the Bats. Then we have kind of like an average Batman. We also get different cameos by different people. We see Asriel in his 90s costume, which I love because I'm a 90s fan, even though I'm not as much of an Asriel fan. We then see (laughs) Betty Kane in her Batgirl costume, which we have not seen in a comic book probably since the 70s, which I thought was cool. And she's relaying a story about how 
Batman died, he had a bomb, and if he lets go of it, it blows up. But if he doesn't let go, it's going to blow up all of Gotham in a minute. So he jumps into the lake, and he says that there's always something you can do. The Mad Hatter tells a story about Batman dying. The Joker tells one, which is really funny. He's got this big, big needle of Joker venom, and he keeps on injecting it to Batman. And he says, you've got enough Joker venom in you to finish off a regiment of elephants. Why don't you smile? Why don't you die? Batman says, because it's not funny. And Joker says that after not much longer, he went down and died, and he still didn't smile. We then get Dick Grayson talking about how Batman's inspired him and weaving in an explanation of why he always said holy. He said, Batman, I mean, he was holy. He never gave up. Uh, okay. We're going to tie into the holy stuff into this. This is one that the message board and websites really like, but Clayface said he died saving the city. No, that's not true. He saved the city, yes, but he died saving me. I said, I'm not worth it. He said, everyone's worth it. I'm not going to go through all the different deaths that they talked about, but Harvey Bullock talks about Batman saving him and a baby. Ra's al Ghul and Superman each speak. And eventually Batman, who's watching his own funeral somehow, he's in this dark room and he sees the female figure that's been talking to him this whole time. And it is his mother, Martha Wayne. And she's talking about how this is some sort of near-death experience and everything and about how Batman's inspiring and never to give up and give in. We get... This is really mostly an art-centric part of the book. We get a double splash page of different events in Batman's career, like year one, him hiding under the stairs from the cops and the cat getting scared, him and Talia conceiving Damien, Bane breaking his back, and he just talks to Martha for a little while, and you see the flashback to to him and his parents over in Crime Alley and Joe Chill shooting him, and then... She basically tells him that it's over, he's done his stuff, and it's time to say goodnight, just like in the book that she used to read to him. And then we get pages upon pages of Bruce saying goodnight house, goodnight Batcave, goodnight giant mechanical dinosaur, goodnight giant penny. Everyone from the Batmobile, Alfred, Commissioner Gordon, the villains. Then we get four panels of the Bat Signal and him saying goodnight to that, and the Bat Signal turns into on the next page, hands delivering baby Bruce Wayne into the world, and then we see Martha Wayne in the hospital, and the nurse saying, Mrs. Wayne, it's a boy, and then Martha Wayne holds the baby and says, hello, Bruce, hello, and that is the end of Batman's life and the beginning. Bruce, you're supposed to be dead. Sorry to disappoint. And that's going to take us into Batman Gotham After Midnight, issue 12 of 12. And this issue, of course, starts off where we had left off, left off with the Batman in that barn burning. And it's, it explodes. And, of course, everyone's looking up. And, of course, Batman's right there. And they're saying no one has survived the explosion. And it says, hey, that's Batman. And, of course, Batman's right there. And then he talks to Commissioner Gordon about his visions that when it was exploding, he had saw April within the, the fire. And then he goes, you know, maybe you're tired you should just go home old friend and then you know get some sleep and so batman goes he heads off but of course as we know our batman he never rests batman then goes home he goes to the bat cave he goes through the process of elimination trying to find out who is midnight who is this character who, who is this person and so as he's going through the process of elimination he's saying no no it could be this it could be that uh it could be midnight but he he had killed april you know something something maybe something about her father tied tied um together you know and so he's going through the through the process and there's a real cool scene where he's going through his visions and he's in the in the, in the batmobile uh, he's heading to the cemetery and so he's going through his process of elimination and as he goes when he gets to the cemetery he's digging up 
Officer April's body. And of course, he brings one of his bat gadgets and he looks through the DNA. And as he puts the DNA in, he notices that it's not a match. And just Batman lives out of silence like, no. And of course, it's what, you know, Dustin had thought a couple of uh, podcasts ago that uh, he finally realizes that it was April who is pretending to be Midnight. And so Batman goes home, and of course, you know, Batman had kind of fallen in love through this whole story arc for her. And then it leads into Alfred really getting mad at him, like getting mad at him as a father, and basically saying that if you're going to be Batman, you cannot fall in love. That you have to be more responsible, you have to be more aware of this. And then if, you, if you're not, I will leave. Batman, of course, listens to Alfred and, of course, thanks him for everything. You know, of course, Alfred loves him to death. And then Batman overlooks the city. And as he's looking over the city, you, you hear a, a certain bong, maybe from a from a cathedral type bell. And it goes through there. And then Batman can't, doesn't find midnight. He's saying, you know, tonight that my that my city is safe. They are free to live their lives and enjoy their crisp night air. But those who choose to terrorize the innocent and prowl the city streets without regard for the law, without for humanity or compassion or hope, will have to answer to me, I am Batman. And so that's how the story arc ends. It's over for now. Now we are in Superman Batman issue 59. We're picking up where we left off. Batman and Superman are both shrunk to the nanoverse, and there's two armies of different races in the nanoverse, and the bad ones kind of has Superman brainwashed, and he's fighting Batman in his little nano-universe armor. Batman's realizing that there's only one way to beat Superman, and he's going to get Superman to chase him somewhere. One of the little army guys from the nano-universe swings in to help save Batman, and Batman says, A savior on a wire swoops in to save me, so this is what it feels like. Kind of like that. So he gets Superman to chase him into this sort of place, thing, nano-universe thing that's going to suck out his excess powers, because apparently the fact that Superman's smaller than he normally is, his body's overloading on too much powers, and that's partially how he was brainwashed. So that happens he goes back to normal and before they can even talk about getting out of there superman says well these people saved me so before we get out of here because they can't because batman's ship has been destroyed we need to help them to fight defeat their enemies and he says well uh we don't have to go to them because the city's coming to us and then we have this big page with this big nanobot city monster thing that's stomping after them looks really weird and they all start fighting it superman can fly and do everything norman now he's a little mad because of what they did to his mind batman uses his armor goes in throws a grenade in the center that seems to start to bring the thing down they're attacking him from the inside while superman's doing what he can on the outside this part wasn't really explained well in the books but somehow whatever they did is connected to prankster being tied up on the outside and he starts babbling some sort of numeramic nonsense while they're fighting him from in there. I'm assuming that it ties back to the first issue with Prankster controlling them, but they really don't touch on it here. The big robot goes down, and they say, well, we can send a distress signal now to Robin and Steel, and they'll rescue us, but because time moves differently out there, it's going to take weeks for them to hear it. Time passes differently in the nanoverse, and although it's only been seconds or minutes over in the real world, it's been, it could be days or weeks in the nanoverse. 
So Batman and Superman, while they're waiting for the distress signal to be responded to, they stay for a few days. They're celebrated and treated as heroes. And eventually Robin and Steel pinpoint where they are based on the explosion from them fighting the big robot, which was only minutes ago from them. Get them out. Batman asks, how long are we gone? And Robin says, just a few minutes. So Superman goes off to celebrate what he calls his Earth Day, and Batman and Robin go off to celebrate Alfred's birthday, which is the same day. We then see back in the Nanoverse that the visitors were celebrated with giant statues erected in their honor, and that's the end of the adventures in the Nanoverse for Superman and Batman. What's going down? And that will take us into Batman Battle for the Cowl, Arkham Asylum. This one, we pick up where in Battle for the Cowl number one, Arkham Asylum was blown to pieces by Black Mask, and Jeremiah Arkham is going to Arkham Asylum to kind of see the wreckage. He's walking through and he's having memories of, as he's passing the cells, he's having memories of different people that he was supposedly treating. And we get a scene with Humpty Dumpty and Mr. Zaz. And Mr. Zaz says that he's saving his space on his eye for when he kills Jeremiah Arkham, so that way he'll never forget him. He passes Scarecrow, Poison Ivy, Clayface, Killer Croc. Well, then he goes downstairs and we go into a section where it's a solitary confinement section. And he hits the button and he walks down. Now, keep in mind, he's not really seeing any of these people. He's just having a vision of these people. And then we start to, we get introduced to some four new people that have never really been seen before in any other Batman comics. The first one is a character called Laiso Morandi, and the guy's an artist. They give his backstory where his mom was beautiful, and he felt like he had such a plain face that his mom didn't notice him. So he decided to take a mask that his mom had a collection of, that take the one that she liked the most, and glue it to his face. Well, then he came to show his mom that, you know, he can be as good-looking as she wants him to be, and his dad kind of decided to go crazy and take the mask off. Well, it was super glued to his face, and as his dad ripped off the mask, it ripped off his entire face. Well, they took him to the hospital, and everything, they tried to do as much as they could, but he is now going by the name of No Face, because he cannot show any expression of emotion at all. So his, what he does now is he paints his expressions on his face to show how he's feeling. Well, he was brought to Arkham Asylum not as a criminal, but just someone who's literally insane. Then we go to the next one where there's a guy called Mirror Man, where he's obsessed with looking at himself in the mirror. He has a cell that's literally full of mirrors, and his backstory was basically five years ago, he walked out of a forest in Haiti. He had no idea anything about his past, and he was butt naked, so he ended up in Arkham Asylum too. His name is Narcissus. Then we go into the next one, which her name is Hamburger Lady. Also, her real name is Myrna Freud, and she is supposedly so extremely horrifying ugly that 
if someone sees her, they will go insane themselves. And they just have a little exchange. They don't really give her backstory. They just say, you know, maybe it is about time for me to see you. She asks, you know, if you don't think that I'm really that ugly, then why don't you have a light in my room? And he goes, okay, fine. Maybe it is time for a light. And he looks at her. Well, the whole book, we kind of see this theory of maybe Jeremiah Arkham is actually going in and seeing himself. And then he comes to an office, his office, and there's a mirror on the wall that says, Perverted, Twisted, Crippled. And there's a box. And when he opens up the box, there's some burned pages of his uncle's journal that have been specifically left in the book. Then he realizes that he has to do what his uncle wanted him to do from the very beginning and build the Arkham Asylum that his uncle wanted to see. Behind the mirror, there was actually plans that his uncle created years ago. And he's decided that he is, in fact, going to build this new Arkham Asylum. Well, then we see a flashback of the Black Glove taking over Arkham Asylum and beating Jeremiah Arkham up. And then he's out on the street. Then all of a sudden... We see a flashback of him realizing Batman's gone, and then they show Arkham Asylum blowing up again. Well, then we go back to the current time, where he goes back to his office, grabs the plans, and he realizes that the people in solitary confinement are still down there and have not left. They're still there. So, they're all upset, and they're all worried. The guy who's obsessed with looking at himself in the mirror, all the mirrors are broke. The guy who has to draw on his face to show emotions has been painting in the dark and his face is covered with colors so he cleans them off and he goes you know i think we're gonna we're gonna start a new place and they all look at the hamburger lady who's so ugly that she caused you to go insane and none of them went insane when they look at her well no face decides he's going to draw on his face how he feels and jeremiah arkham says put on a happy face and then at the top, it shows a little excerpt from the journal that we saw was burnt. And it says, all things are possible here, and I am what madness made me, whole and complete and free at last, Amadeus Arkham. And then we see No Face, who has painted his face to look exactly like the Joker's face. And that is Arkham Asylum. Joker here! I'm in control of Arkham Island! And that's going to take into Azrael number two of three, Death's Dark Knight. And of course, we pick up where we had left off, where the new Azrael was being jumped. And of course, Talia was the one that had came in and kind of looked like she had stabbed him. And she's, of course, trying to retrieve the suit of sorrows. And so as they surround him, he kind of plays a little bit of a possum as they all go around him. And, of course, Azrael breaks out. But Talia then talks him into wanting to find out the truth about the suit of sorrows. She, she wants to tell him about the history of it and the, the ghost that haunted him. And so as Michael, who, who is the new Azrael, goes out with Talia, I guess, for a coffee at her place. He then hears the stories of the, the suit of sorrows. And he tells her, well, why are you in so such need of it? And she tells him, she goes, I want it for my son. And she goes, well, why would you want to do that to your own kid? And she says, he is a very exceptional child. And at the moment, it might be the only means through which he might more quickly attain his birthright. And as she says that, she's looking out into Gotham City. And, of course, she says, and this city is very badly in need of someone to accept that mantle. 
And so she tells him, go find out. Go go ask who you're working for. He goes off and he, he goes. And, of course, it leads to a nice a nice little dialogue by Oracle uh, as she looks at the Azrael flying by. And she doesn't know if it's Jean Paul Valley coming back from the dead. Azrael goes to the order and then wants to find out about it. And so as he goes, finds out, we find out who was the, the first Ariel in the first issue of this of this storyline, who is Abraham Arlington. And, of course, he was a British national, former military, and he's only 26 years old. But he's already gone mad for the from the sins, because, and he keeps repeating, killing God's name in God's name, but killing is a sin. He only wore the suit for six months, as they explained, before he became uncontrollable. And so Michael's looking upon this. It looks like he goes off and he talks to his mom. And he's discussing to his mom, you know, I want to do God's work, but... At the same time, I, it's in a way I had to commit suicide. And he, he asked, you know, why would God want this? You know, why? Why? So if, if God wants to do good, why is he asking me to do both? And so he drives off. And so it looks like he's he's being recognized by one of the like security guards that's standing outside that looks looking through the camera. We then pan to Wayne Manor. And in Wayne Manor, you see the bad cave. And then you see the, the caves where the suit of sorrows was being kept. And then out of the darkness, you see, if you can't return the suit, I'll take it. But if you think you're walking out of here without paying for your crimes, you're crazy. And it's Nightwing, and he's holding a sword. And then he replies to Nightwing, no, what's really crazy, Nightwing, is that walking out of here is the only way I will be able to pay for my crimes. And then it looks like we're going to be in for a battle right here. But that's the end of issue two. Criminals thrive on the indulgence of society's understanding. All right, and then that's going to take us into Batman Battle for the Call of the Underground. Now, the first thing you have to notice is that we have to mention is that if you enjoyed this, the writing is actually done by Chris Yost, who will be working on Red Robin later on. Well, we go through the first page, which shows a Batman character flying away. And Batarangs sitting in the chests of a lot of gangsters laying in the middle of the alley. Then we show a little flashback of Black Mask and him blowing up Arkham Asylum. Then we show Killer Croc and Poison Ivy and Firefly working together to take out the different gangs all over the place. Well, the, the whole time we have somebody talking in the background, you don't know who it is. We find out it's Riddler who's actually thinking this, and Penguin has actually come to him to ask him to find out who's been trying to put him out and why Black Mask is waging this war on him, and he wants him to find him and then kill him. So they have a little exchange. Riddler decides, well, you know, I've got to do something. Meanwhile, he's still trying to figure out where Batman is, who is this new Batman since it's not the old one, and he bumps into Harley Quinn. Well, Harley Quinn says that she'll go with him, she's got some ideas. Then we go into a scene where Two-Face is trying to figure out why there's so much chaos going on, and he has an argument with himself, when Catwoman decides she is going to try to take out Two-Face. She takes out Two-Face's driver, and she tells him, you know, just come quietly, we, this doesn't have to be anything difficult. Two-Face says, I don't think so, start shooting at her. Two-Face gets in the driver's seat and decides he's going to start driving off. Catwoman falls off, and as it starts raining, she picks up a newspaper that is reminiscent to Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead, with the headline, Is Bruce Wayne Dead? And then we go to a scene where there's a bunch of 
Penguin's henchmen loading up some stuff from a warehouse when Killer Croc, Firefly, and Poison Ivy appear. Firefly starts burning up the van, and Poison Ivy starts to make vines and plants grow all over the warehouse, as Killer Croc is just basically beating the heck out of each other. So then they have a little discussion about how she's getting bored with a black mask, and Firefly says, don't forget, we know why we're doing this. It's not because we want to, it's because we have to. Then we see a little convoy happening where Penguin is driving down the road, and he's trying to figure out by someone calling him saying that Batman has killed his henchmen, and he's like, no, it's not Batman, it can't be Batman, Batman doesn't kill, when one of his convoy jeeps blow up. Now, something interesting is that Penguin looks very reminiscent to Danny DeVito, Penguin, in Batman Returns. So his vehicles start to speed away, and he says, just get out of here, get out of here now, and then all of a sudden, Firefly flies over the vehicle and says, nothing personal, Black Mask wants you out of the picture. And he's about to shoot fire down into Penguin's limo when Catwoman jumps on Firefly and makes him fly out of control. Well, Catwoman falls after making him fly out of control, and suddenly she sees Black Mask standing there says, No, that's not possible. You're dead. I killed you. And then the silhouette in the distance disappears. She starts running towards where she saw it, and then we see Batman's cape flying around in the wind. Well, then she's like, is that you? And he says, yes. And then we see it's actually Jason Todd firing his guns at her. Then we go to a scene where Riddler and Harley Quinn went to see Holly Robinson to figure out how exactly Black Mask is around if she killed him. And then Poison Ivy shows up, and Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy say, We can be friends with Eddie. Come on, we can be friends. Then we go back to Catwoman, who's fighting with Jason Todd. What ends up happening is she gets a couple gunshots towards her general direction, and she ends up falling off the side of the building after Jason Todd kicks her. She falls into a car, is bleeding, and then all of a sudden, Riddler, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn show up to ask her some questions and it looks like the final words is I've got to mention this I've got a few questions for you my dear but I can come back if you're busy the Riddler said and then Harley Quinn's like kitty as she lays there looking like she's dead so this will actually go into Gotham City Sirens which comes out in June because it'll have Catwoman, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn in it and that is the underground you filthy criminals and on the subject of Underground, that is exactly where we start off in The Outsiders, issue 17, as The Outsiders were underground when a machine that has some of the people from this mysterious group, The Insiders, in it came in and attacked and kidnapped Katana. Geoforce is leading the others to rescue her, and he seems to be really, really, really driven and overly mad that they've taken Katana. It might have something to do with the kiss that they shared a few issues ago. Or maybe just because she's a fallen teammate. This guy has a meteorite inside of his suit, too, that he's going to send back to the others. And he tries to send it away. Owlman grabs onto it, but he's no match for the speed of this thing, and it gets away. They are able to free Katana, and they're interrogating this little robot thing after they've disabled it. But he's not going to tell them anything. 
we cut back to the headquarters of the insiders and they just decide to activate a thing that put a bunch of acid into the machine, killing the guy before he could tell them anything, as Geoforce and Owlman are banging on the machine, telling him, wait, who's they? Tell us before you die. But they see him get horribly disfigured right before their eyes. Owlman says that he hears something and that they have to get away before the thing blows up. So they all kind of scatter really, really quickly, and Black Lightning, who had been teasing Owlman on his owl motif before... And the fact that nobody's been taking him seriously because he's just a TV defective says that he approves of his uniform because it was able to pick up the traces of the explosion. So Geoforce gets all the others gathered on a piece of the Earth and they fly off on it, getting ready for their next move. We go back to Iceland, which is the headquarters of these mysterious insiders. They have a piece of the meteor rock or whatever it is. They take it to this machine, which seems to have hundreds and thousands of other ones in it all flowing in. Somebody's taken one of the thrashers and got in the way. One of the female outsiders seems to think that it's a member of their group named Michael, who had been thinking about defecting before. And she's like, well, you forced my hand. Back on the little bat space jet thing that all the outsiders are on, they're analyzing the rock. And before they can do anything, it absorbs into Metamorpho accidentally and they can't get it out of him. But Alman says that the traces of it, the residual meteor dust, it's exactly like the rock that basically gave the word Vandal Savage. For those of you who don't know who Vandal Savage is, he's immortal. He lives forever. Which seems to be, judging by the last few issues, what the secret of the insiders is. They live forever. So the female insider goes to a mysterious apartment building, knocks on the door, and says that she wants to speak with Mr. Wilson. The other person lets her in when... She realizes that she's talking about a lot of money here. And we see Deathstroke saying, So, lady, how'd you find me? She says, We can find anyone, Deathstroke. It's simply whether we want to or not. And that's to be continued. And if we're looking for a rematch between Deathstroke and Geoforce, it should be pretty interesting considering what happened in their last battle. And I, for one, can't wait. It's all part of the plan. All right, and then that's going to take us into our review wrap-up. Detective Comics, whatever happened to the Cape Crusader Part 2. Part of it was really good. Part of it, I'm not so sure. And this is just speculation, but I know that the book was late, and it seems like the end of it was really rushed, And except for the art part. I mean, the art's really good, but I don't know if I needed to see pages upon pages of Bruce saying goodnight to the giant penny and goodnight to the dinosaur. And then four whole pages of basically just the bat signal turning into a doctor giving baby Bruce to the world. I did like all the little Easter eggs in the book. I mean, where else can we get 90s Asriel costume and 50s Betty Kane Batgirl uniform? And the different stories like Joker and his big Joker Venom Needle, that stuff was fun. This wasn't what I was expecting, but it was enjoyable. But I feel that because of the wasted pages, it's going to lose two batterings for me. So I give it two out of five batterings. The last issue, 12 with 12 for uh, Batman Gotham After Midnight. I really liked the story, guys. It was fun. It was something new, something different. I, and I really liked it. It was one of those Batman adventures like, oh, man, you know, it kind of took me back to the animated series days where you had the two-parters. So uh, it's just that this one went for 12. <laughs> Steve Niles, I like this writing. I really did. I just wish he would have had a different artist. I, I, I really think that a different artist would have, you know, probably put this over the top. But... 
I, I like the story, but I'm only going to give it three batterings out of five. And I, I really want to give it more. But I mean, what, what really hurt this book to me was the artwork. Overall, I love the storyline. In the past month, I read a comic book story where two of the comic company's biggest heroes teamed up went into a microverse and helped stop an army, and then statues were erected in their honor. It was a Spider-Man and Fantastic Four team-up, and I think that they did it a little better than the exact same story that was released around the same time with Superman-Batman. The story went back and forth for me, and I like some of the visuals in the early issues of the Kirby-esque stuff, but this was just all over the place, and I feel that they could have wrapped it up much quicker. The Art was okay in some places. I liked how they drew the world of the nanoverse, but the robots and everything just looked weird, and some of the stuff was confusing. I'm going to have to say two out of five batterings. Coincidentally, that's also the same rating that Tigger Brown on the forums gave the book as well. So if, if people aren't paying attention to what we do on the website, we're also having people who aren't on the podcast do reviews for comics as well, so that way can get some other ideas besides what our thoughts are. But that brings us into Arkham Asylum. Now, Arkham Asylum, I thought, was a pretty decent story. I mean, there was a lot of unnecessary things in there. I didn't find it to be a bad story by any means. I thought the art was actually very good. That was by uh, Jeremy Hahn. There's a lot of things that I think could have been trimmed out of it to make it flow a little better. At some points, you didn't know whether or not he was still having a flashback or if he was walking through the destroyed Arkham, especially the part where they start off with them showing him walking through the cells and remembering Humpty Dumpty, Poison Ivy, Killer Croc, and all these other villains in their cells, but the cells are broken, the villains are no longer there, and then it goes right into solitary confinement where they show him walking through talking to these villains So you think, okay, okay, so we're going back in time to before the whole thing at Arkham Asylum happened, and then we go back in time to have him look at the plans for Arkham, because why would he be talking about rebuilding Arkham if Arkham is not destroyed? So there was a little confusion there, but overall the story wasn't bad. I just felt like it could have been a lot better, a little bit better understanding. So overall I'm just going to give it two and a half batterings out of five, which coincidentally was very close to the same number that was given on the website, which also, this review was done by Tigger Brown too. He gave it three out of five batterings. And that's going to take us into Asriel issue two of three, Death Dark Knight. I liked liked the first issue. I thought it was a nice takeoff. Uh, I was wondering where this one was going with it. The writing by Fabian, I I like his writing a lot. Within this issue, it, it... it's kind of losing me. I don't know if it's losing you guys, but in, in some ways in issue two, it wasn't, it wasn't, I expected it to be more defiant of the character Asriel, but just to find out uh, uh, the basics of what Talia is doing within here, uh, it, it's not, I lost the in, that intrigueness that I had, I guess. If, can I make up that word? <laughs> the It didn't intrigue me from the, the first issue to this issue. The artwork by Fraser Irving, it, it's it's good. I mean, it, it's it, it, you have to have an acquired taste for it. This story, I wasn't really interested in it as much as issue one. So I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to give it like two and a half batterings out of five. And then that brings us to about for the call the underground one shot. Now this one, the art was probably the best thing about this this book. 
the story was mediocre. It wasn't the best story in the world, but it wasn't bad by any means. But the art was really what was super great. The fact that it was so detailed, it was it was actually kind of amazing how detailed the art was. I didn't really like the idea of taking Penguin and making him look like Danny DeVito because anybody who wants to say it doesn't look like Danny DeVito, you obviously haven't seen the movie in a while because it's like a replica of Danny DeVito from Batman Returns. That was the only thing I didn't like about the art, but I liked the interpretations of the Riddler. I really liked that. I thought that was done very well. The story overall, it jumps around. It reminded me a lot of Battle for the Cowl by Tony Daniel, but it wasn't. It was done by Chris Yost. So I just hope that once this Battle for the Cowl stuff is all over, we get into some normal storytelling instead of jumping around through a thousand different scenes. So overall, I give this one 3 out of 5 for a different take on the review. Riddle Me This from the forums did a review on it and gave it 4 out of 5. Outsider 17. Once again, this book is a pretty solid read, and I'm liking the intrigue and stuff here, and we're getting some answers about the insiders, but okay, forgetting all that, by the last page alone, Deathstroke is coming back, people. This is awesome. Five out of five batterings, boom. Woo! All right, so that's all the comic reviews we have. Let's go right into our... Batman the Brave and the Bold, reviewed by the kids. Batman Brave and the Bold. Batman got turned into a baby at the beginning of the story. What did he throw at the villain's machine to turn himself back? <sighs> Rattles with the pic- with two other babies and his had a picture of a bat on it. And it hit a crystal, and it sent Batman back into an adult, and he captured, he captured Faust. And then the next part of the story was with Aquaman at Earth Day. He got a call from Batman, telling his girlfriend the story, and he had a flashback of a T-Rex wrecking the a, a pier. And he, him and Batman started fighting it. But then they realized the Washington Monument in the middle of an amusement park with the Romans trying to fight them for it. And then they met and they found out that time was screwed up and they went to these two-time scientists. But then someone turned them into cavemen. Batman and Aquaman ended up going back in time. They saw the Washington Monument again in the middle of a field with temples written next to the monument. And then they found cowboys, Romans, and karate ninjas working with the, with the knights all together, working together, trying to destroy this time sphere. And it turned out that the vi- villain was doc- Dr. Cyber, a girl in a high, high metal circuit suit with it with, gives her different powers. And they try fighting her, and they grab onto her time chair, and it sends them forward in time to where back to where they were before and then Aquaman's girlfriend turned into a caveman. Aquaman was trying to protect her while Batman was fighting Dr. Cyber. They went underwater and, and, and Aquaman found himself two years in the future and and they both started calling for sharks. Then when they called for one, this one attacked them because it was like a dinosaur gone fish. It was a combination of a dinosaur underwater with with the eel's body. 
in Batman 3, it's a belt at it, and it exploded in his mouth. And then he saved Dr. Cyber from, helped her from the shark. And then she, she thought she wanted the help time, but it's, by mixing it up, she destroyed it. She used some the damaged chair, sent herself back in time, and it might have killed her, but she sent back time back to normal. And the two scientists... We're back to normal and two and went above water and then Aquaman and his girlfriend in two years in the future Went back to their time and then Batman and Aquaman swim away back to the Earth Earth Day Festival I thought parts of the story that were funny at the beginning when Aquaman was telling his girlfriend about this story the tale about the time he saved the whole planet on Earth Day. And he, then he called it the tale of the Earth Day when Aquaman saved the entire planet. The story was great. And I have a great way of explaining the story. It sent me back in time. I gave it 5 out of 5 batterings. Including the featured high-tech batterings. Which gets what I give it. Out of 1 through 5, I'd give it 10. Alright, so that was Batman, Brave and the Bold, number four. We're not going to have a discussion just because we have so much stuff that we had to cover in this episode. But, as a quick promotion for the next episode, go onto the forums and leave comments about in the comment section in the forums about this podcast, about different things you would like us to talk about as a discussion for the next podcast. Because we only have a couple comics, so we'll have plenty of time to have a discussion at length. And I know a lot of people have been asking us to spend a lot more time discussing things, which we will be able to do starting in the next podcast. So let's go into Bat Books for Beginners with Nick. Hello and welcome to another edition of Bat Books for Beginners. This is Nick, and today we're looking at Batman 4 of a Kind, which is a trade paperback that was published in 1998. And it contains four separate stories, each devoted to one of Batman's villains and his first encounter with them, as well as exploring their psychology and origin. So, the four stories we've got are, the first one is about Poison Ivy, it's from Shadow of the Bat Annual number 3, and it's written by Alan Grant. The second story involves the Riddler, uh, and is from Detective Comics Annual number 8, written by Chuck Dixon, and art by Kieran Dwyer. The third story is with the Scarecrow, from Batman Annual 19, written by Doug Monk. Artists are Brett Blevins and Mike Manley. And the fourth story explores Man Bat, written by Chuck Dixon, art by Kike Kilchitina from Legends of the Dark Knight Annual number 5. So, here are the stories of each. Hey, aren't you that plant lady, Poison Oaky? Ivy! Poison Ivy! Sorry! The first story involves Poison Ivy, and an Ivy poisons Batman with a kiss at a charity function. And the story really involves Batman rushing to find the antidote, which it turns out is a second kiss from Poison Ivy. It's a very brief story, and we only get to see a glimpse of Ivy's backstory with no real explanation as to who she is or why she's in Gotham. It's slightly disappointing, and since this book promises origins of the character, it certainly isn't in this story, so I'm going to be moving on. 
The Riddler story, however, does deliver, informing us of Nigma's childhood, and it treats the reader as if we are a psychiatrist at Arkham, asking him the questions. We begin by learning that Nigma cheated to pass a puzzle competition when he was at school, which led him to develop a passion for puzzles and tricks. As he got older, he turned to crime for a solution to his boredom, but found simple crime very dull. So he developed the Riddler persona to liven things up a bit, until Batman appeared, and he then started to treat his crime as a form of art, trying to intrigue and confound the Batman, who he considers a good challenge. The Riddler commits a heist involving a bank and a reservoir, uh, which gains him the credibility he wants amongst the underworld. And he then attempts another job stealing and holding some valuable instruments for ransom, but it goes wrong. And that's why we find out he is in Arkham telling us this story. And this story had a great little twist at the end too. Excellent, really enjoyed it. Now the Scarecrow story begins with Batman investigating murders at Gotham University. And then we begin to understand where the Scarecrow came from via bullying and loneliness at high school. And Crane developed his persona at Gotham High School and tested it out on two people who he wasn't too keen on at the school. He later goes on to perfect his fear gas at Gotham University and even forces his teacher to commit suicide and takes the job himself. He's later sacked by the board at the university for his violent class demonstrations and so he kills the board, of course. These are the murders that we learn Batman is actually investigating and he later tracks Scarecrow down and sends him to Arkham with the rest of Batman's villains. And the final story was regarding Man-Bat. And this tells us of how a deaf Dr. Kirk Langstrom experimented with bats and when denied further research funding, decided to test upon himself. His hearing suddenly returned with much more potency than before and he slowly transformed into the Man-Bat. He left his fiancée and hid amongst Gotham, attempting to commit suicide at one point. And he eventually stumbled upon the Batcave and attacked Alfred. Batman subdued him, however, and returned him to his fiancée. Kirk Landstrom was returned to normal thanks to his own treatment being reversed by his fiancée, and he completely forgot about the incident. But we all know that Man-Bat will return at some point. Now, I felt every story, apart from the Poison Ivy story, was really good, with the Riddler one in particular standing out as exceptional. I think this book demonstrates the strength of Batman's rogue gallery, with Batman being a secondary character throughout the book, and the focus being on the villains, but we're still very interested in what's going on, even if Batman is taking a back seat. Now, the Poison Ivy story was dull, didn't deliver on what we were told about her origin, etc., and it was a very dull mission for Batman to complete, and it was over far too quickly, and was a really poor way to open up the book. I was very, very disappointed with this story, because I wanted to learn more about Poison Ivy, and didn't. The Riddler story, as I said, was outstanding, and it had everything that the Poison Ivy story was missing. We really understood what the Riddler's all about, how he came to be there, what makes him so unique as a character. It's fantastic storytelling, and to tell it as the reader is asking him the questions was a great idea. Really worked for me. It's a good lesson in how to tell a good story with very little time. The Scarecrow story had a solid origin set up and linked him with Batman's parallel story while he was investigating the murders as well. The artwork was particularly impressive in this story with the lanky Dr. Crane standing out. 
He may have looked a bit cartoony, but it really worked for me, and I think it fitted in with that story very well. Manbat is a character I've not read a lot about, but he's never really appealed to me that much before. I think he's a bit one-dimensional. But this short origin tale intrigued me a bit more, and I'm looking forward to reading some more about Manbat. The parallels of Manbat and Batman are what makes this character strong, like the opposites of Joker and the Batman. It's usually these ties between certain villains and Batman that make the villain interesting, but these parallels weren't explored with Manbat very much because they probably didn't have the time. In conclusion, I think, as a book, it's, it's very interesting to have four different short stories with four different art styles and writing styles. I think most of these stories could have done with a little bit more time to explain the origins. Scarecrow and Riddler stories got through their origin well, but the Man Bat and the Poison Ivy story may have needed more time to flesh out the characters so the reader actually cares as to what's going on. And so you can actually create some sort of interesting story because I think they lacked it a little bit, especially with Poison Ivy. If they had this extra time, the entire book would have been improved. Now, individually, these stories get very different marks in my eyes, but as an entire book, I'm going to mark the book with 4 out of 5 batterings. And with a better Poison Ivy story, it definitely would have got 5. I hope you made extra. Who the hell are you? Just a friend. But you can call me... The Riddler. So that's Batman 4 of a Kind. As you can see, I quite enjoyed it. Next time, I'm going to be reviewing Batman Terror. You can go on the forums and tell me what you thought about 4 of a Kind or any of the other books I reviewed, as well as reviewing it yourself with the polls on there. You can also email me at nick at thebatmanuniverse.net and you can send me any questions or queries or comments. Well, that's Bat Books for Beginners this time. I've been Nick, and I'll see you next time. The Great Batman scared out of his mind. How does it feel? Alright, so that was Batman 4 of a Kind. Make sure you pick up the next book for Bat Books for Beginners in the next episode. Let's move into our upcoming releases. On May 13th, we have Azrael Death Stark Knight number 3 of 3, Batman Confidential number 29, as we talked about earlier, Batman Scarecrow and Two-Face year 1, and Oracle the Cure number 3 of 3. On Wednesday, May 20th, we have Batman Battle for the Call number 3 of 3, Batman, Mad Love, and other stories like we talked about earlier The Outsiders number 18 and Superman Batman number 16 so as far as what we are going to be covering the next episode we will be covering Batman Battle for the Call of the Network Azrael Death Stark Knight number 3 Batman Confidential number 29 and Oracle number 3 so like I said earlier we only will have 4 comics to cover so we'll have plenty of time to talk about anything that you guys want us to talk about or discuss. So that's pretty much everything for this podcast. Remember, go on to iTunes, leave a review. You can email us at comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. If you're interested in doing comic reviews, send us an email at comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and we'll set something up for you to get some reviews on the site for different comics. It could be old ones or new ones. You can check out the website, become a member of the forums, there's a thousand things you could do. Go to Facebook. We have Facebook, MySpace, Blogspot, Pages. Go to all those, become members. So make sure you check out all the different things we have available for you guys. And for your daily news, make sure you're checking out the thebatmanuniverse.net. 
So that's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. You can just hear the Danny Elfman theme playing over the end of that. I know, right? <laughs> Alright, quickly, that link that I just sent, who wants to be Newsrama and read the questions? I pick Josh. <laughs> okay, you be Newsrama, right. and I'll be Dan Dio. Okay, Ooh. so... By the way... Steve wait, wait, J. Don't, aren't you going to say anything about, like, have a happy? <laughs> that was once. <laughs> that was once. Well, you didn't say bye at all. Yeah. <laughs> I usually don't. Okay, bye.